My name is Gary Weber. I'm the pastor here at Southside, and we're glad to have you with us um, all today. And I want to ask, how many of you, uh, Jacksonville is your home and you've lived here for a year or more? Raise your hand. That's, that's a lot of you. Okay, some of you maybe are newer to the city or visiting. H- how many of you uh, remember the disruptive event of September, late September last year? We had an unwelcomed guest that came to our city. Her name was Irma. Any of you have plans that changed at the end of September, early October because of her, um, yeah, it's, you know, there, there's these events in life that happen where something, something happens and it's beyond anybody's control and it, in a moment, can turn everything upside down. Um, many of you in the room are old enough to remember the events of 9-11 and everything came to a halt. There were people going places, they had plans, uh, and suddenly the whole nation just came to a screeching halt. Air, air traffic was stopped. Everything changed in a minute. Uh, and there are times in life where that is the case, when the circumstances of life sort of take over and the unexpected happens. And what do you do? What do you do when life takes an unexpected turn? I know for us, last September, uh, the hurricane was disruptive for our family, uh, but we had no idea at that time that we were entering in a 10-month journey with our daughter Macy, many of you have prayed with us and we're so excited how God has just brought healing to her. Uh, but for the last 10 months, we have lived, our family has lived a lot in the unexpected just because a health circumstance happens, you didn't foresee it, you didn't know it was coming and suddenly you're spending a lot more time in the doctor's office in the hospital than you expected. Many of you out there have been through that. You know what that's like. What do you do when the unexpected happens? What do you do when your plans become upended by what you did not anticipate? happening. So you weren't expecting it, but suddenly you're faced with divorce papers. And that relationship that you were in that you thought was till death do you part, suddenly there's, a, there's an expiration date on it, a very real expiration date, and lawyers are involved. Uh, a daughter comes home and tells you that she's pregnant, she's not married, and she doesn't know what she's going to do. You go into work and your boss comes in and tells you that the department is being eliminated and you're going to be out of work. Uh, the stocks that you've invested in and you were planning on your retirement take a turn and suddenly when you thought you were going to retire, you're suddenly not going to be able to retire. You get a call for a job offer in another state. You had no, no, nothing in mind that you were going to look for another job, but suddenly there's this opportunity and you wonder, okay, is this... Is this God in this opportunity? Is God calling me somewhere else to do something else? A friend calls that you haven't talked to in years and says, hey, can we get together? And just out of the blue, unexpected circumstances, both good circumstances and bad circumstances, come into our life and and suddenly we're faced with changing our plans. Our, Our life can be altered in an instant and in a moment. And, and when things don't go the way we planned, one of the things that we do, it's human nature, is we just begin to ask ourselves, okay, who, who's responsible for this? Like, did, did this happen because of something I did? Like, should I have been a, a, a better husband? Could, could I have done something different on the workplace? And maybe instead of just firing me when the department was eliminated, maybe they would have transferred me somewhere? Could I have done something? Is it my fault? Uh, maybe it's your boss's fault. Maybe it's your spouse's fault. Maybe it's your kid's fault. And we look at these circumstances, but then sometimes the circumstances are so far beyond anybody's control that we have to ask ourselves: is God doing this to me? Did God make this happen? I mean, that was not the result I expected to get from the doctor. 
And so who's in charge here? (laughs) Have you ever, just like life feels like it's out of control. Who's in charge? Who's making these decisions? Because this was not on my calendar. This was not on my agenda. And suddenly everything is upended. I thought I was doing the best I could. So why did this unexpected thing happen? Why am I facing this? The interesting thing is that's a common challenge that we face. And maybe you're here today and, and you would say you're, you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, you don't come to church very often. And, and, and if you're honest, one of the reasons that you struggle with believing in God and, and becoming a Christian is because you've had circumstances in life like this and you don't understand how God who everybody, all the Christians claim is a loving God, powerful God, could allow circumstances to happen in your life like they've happened. And so you kept your distance because you're just not sure. The interesting thing is, even though that's the circumstance of our life, when you go back and read the, page, the Bible, sometimes we, we, think, we idealize these characters and we think their life was, was just as it was planned. Everything just went according to plan. But that's almost never the case for any character you read about in the Bible. Every character from the Old Testament and the New Testament had circumstances that they were totally unexpected uh, that came up in their, in their lives and, and it derailed their plans and suddenly they found themselves careening off course but not out of God's control. And how did the people of the Bible, great men and women of faith, how did they respond when the unexpected happened? And there's an interesting there's an interesting similarity, an interesting principle that's true of every one of the great men and women of faith in the circumstances that they faced that were unexpected. And it is this belief. They believed, and I think this is a belief that, that, that we should hold on to. And if you don't have this belief, I hope by the end of our time together today, maybe I can convince you that this is a belief you should write down, put it on a mirror somewhere in your bathroom, put it on the dashboard of your car and read it over and over again because I think this is a belief that people in the Bible held on to and it made all the difference. And it's just this, God uses the unforeseen circumstances of our lives for his glory and our good. God uses the unforeseen circumstances of our lives for his glory and for our good. It's not just for his glory, although it is always for his glory, but ultimately it is also for our good, even when it doesn't feel like it's good in the middle of the circumstance. Even when it feels like it's bad in the midst of the circumstance. God will use the unforeseen circumstances of your life for his glory and for your good. We've been following along in the life of the Apostle Paul. And uh, many of you, whether you come to church much or not, you recognize the name Paul. He is a great hero of the faith. And we look back on him. He wrote half the New Testament, this, this great champion of church planning and sharing the message of the gospel around the world. And we sort of idealize him. But Paul, on his journey of following Jesus, had so many unexpected circumstances that came up time and again. And it was this belief That God will use the unforeseen circumstance, this unforeseen circumstance, this bad, negative, hurtful, harmful circumstance, he will use this for his glory and ultimately for my good. It started on the road to Damascus, actually, ironically enough. He was literally on a road heading in one direction, going to persecute the church in Damascus. And Jesus appeared to him, totally derailed Paul's plans. And he went from being somebody who was persecuting the church to becoming the greatest champion the church had ever known. And he was constantly, from that moment on the road to Damascus, all throughout the rest of his journey, he was constantly facing detours. But rather than growing discouraged, rather than becoming bitter, 
Paul's faith seems to grow deeper and deeper with each and every detour he faced. And when I read the stories of Paul, I think, I want that kind of faith. I want a faith that isn't weakened by the unexpected circumstances of my life, but a faith that is strengthened by them. And so that when trials come, like Eddie was reading earlier from Romans chapter 8, when difficulties come, I can rest assured of God's love for me and God's plan in spite of what I see in the negative circumstances around me. Don't you want that kind of faith? Do you, I mean, do you want that? I mean, that's, that's, the kind of faith that, that's the kind of faith that people write about. That's the kind of faith that inspires generations. Not a faith that is strong when everything goes right. Come on, does, does that even require faith when everything's going right? The marriage is great. The kids are all doing what they're supposed to do. There's pl- plenty of money in the, in the checking account. I mean, reality is you don't need any faith when everything goes the way you planned it. You planned it. But let an unexpected detour come your way and suddenly you have an opportunity to practice true biblical faith. And so Paul faced all these detours and every time he faced them, his faith only seems to grow stronger. His commitment to following Jesus only seems to get more and more strong with each, and each detour he faced. So what did Paul know? What did he understand that we need to understand as we face these unimaginable bends in the road ahead? In Acts chapter 15 and 16... Uh, we see the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. He had already been on one missionary journey with his friend Barnabas, and it was really successful. Everything just went well. I mean, there was some, you know, he, yeah, he got stoned in one city, but you take that with the, you know, take the good with the bad. For the most part, everything went pretty well. I mean, people were coming to faith in Christ. Churches were being planted. He goes back to Antioch and reports all these incredible things that are happening. He goes down to Jerusalem, has this great meeting with Peter and James and John and all the apostles, and they're all rejoicing about what God is doing as the gospel spreading to all the Gentiles. Everything looks like it's going Paul's way. It looks as if, okay, this is the trajectory Paul is going to be on. From here out, he is just going to travel around the world, telling people about Jesus, planting churches. He'll die an old man, and we will read his books for the next two millennium and celebrate how easy his life was. No. Because that's not how life is. And if that's the case, we wouldn't believe that the story was true because we know life's not like that. Everything looked like it was going exactly as planned when all of a sudden Paul faces three divine detours. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open to Acts chapter 15, the end of the chapter. Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36. I want to look at these three divine detours because I think they're detours that we face in life frequently. And then I want to offer you three suggestions about how to respond to the divine detours of life. So the first divine detour that Paul faced was unimagined divergence. Unimagined divergence. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Paul and Barnabas uh, so far in the book of Acts, almost every time you've read Paul's name, you've read Barnabas's name. They've been together. Uh, Barnabas was a follower of Jesus before Paul was. He, he was one of the original early followers of Jesus. And in fact, when Paul had his amazing conversion to follow Jesus and he tried to go back into Jerusalem, none of the Jesus followers believed him. I mean, he had just been arresting and putting people in prison just a few days before, and now all of a sudden, Paul, you expect us to believe that you're a Jesus follower? No, we, we don't believe you. We don't believe that. 
And, and so it was Barnabas, though, who came to Paul's defense. And it was Barnabas who came and said, you know what? I believe him. I think we should listen to Paul. And slowly, the rest of the apostles, because of Barnabas advocating for Paul, the rest of the disciples began to believe and listen to Paul. So then at, the church at Antioch began to grow. These Gentiles were coming to faith in Christ. And the disciples, the apostles in Jerusalem, sent Barnabas to the church at Antioch to, to give some leadership. Barnabas gets up there and he realizes real quick he is in over his head. He needs a scholar to come and teach them. So guess who he goes and gets? Barnabas goes and gets Paul and says, Paul, hey, come, help me lead this church at Antioch. And then the church at Antioch sends Paul and Barnabas off together on the first missionary journey. Everything seems like it's going along swimmingly halfway through the first missionary journey. Their helper, who is a, who is a younger man by the name of Mark, by the way, he wrote the Gospel of Mark. If, if you're curious, this, this is Mark was not one of the one of Jesus' twelve disciples, but but he would go on and eventually write the Gospel of Mark. This Mark went along with Barnabas and Paul as a helper. Well, halfway through the journey, Mark taps out. He's like, "This is hard." I mean, like you know, this this is people people don't want to talk. They they're throwing rocks at us. I mean, we're in danger of getting thrown in prison. I'm sorry, guys. I'm headed back to Jerusalem. I got some things I need to do. So he leaves, and Paul and Barnabas go on and finish the rest of the missionary journey. Well, that's all well and good until Paul and Barnabas begin to set out on the second missionary journey. Look what happens in verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Let's just have a revival tour and go back to every city where, where the church is planted. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. Remember, he's the one who abandoned them on the first missionary journey. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So there's a disagreement. Barnabas says, hey, let's give this kid another shot. Let's go get him and take him with him with us. Now, interestingly enough, Mark was actually related to Barnabas, and he was also related to the Apostle Peter. He may have been their nephew, their cousin. We're not sure of the relationship, but they, they were definitely related. And so Barnabas, not only does he just want to give this kid a second shot, he realizes and knows this young man, has probably known him his whole life, and he recognizes, hey, this, it's important for him to redeem himself by going with us on this trip. Now, this fits right along with Barnabas's character and his nature. After all, 10 years earlier, Barnabas did exactly the same thing for Paul. When nobody wanted to go go and listen to Paul, when nobody wanted to follow Paul, it was Barnabas who was advocating for Paul. This is who Barnabas is. It's why his name means son of encouragement. So Barnabas, just like he had done for Paul, Barnabas is advocating for Mark and says, hey, let's give the kid a second chance. Verse 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement. Again, again, biblical translation for they had a brawl. I mean, this, the, the word here actually means a blazing, horrible, bitter row. I mean, that's the literal translation that our English version kind of cleans up and just makes, sanitizes by saying a sharp disagreement. I mean, they had a fight. You know, we don't think about these great men of the faith having a fight, disagreeing. But it's one of the reasons you can believe your Bible. Your Bible doesn't try to cover up what was really happening, 
It tells it like it really happened, not as we wish it had gone. Because I wish that Paul and Barnabas had always just gotten along. But what's happening here is there is an unimagined divergence about to take place. This relationship is about to be ruptured, never to be fully repaired. Listen to what happened after this. So that they separated from each other. There's the divergence. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria to Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So Paul, actually, this isn't the first occasion where Paul and Barnabas had had a disagreement. If you open your Bible to the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verse 13, uh, Peter shows up at the church at Antioch, and he's eating with Gentiles until a bunch of uh, good Jews show up, and then suddenly he separates himself out. He won't eat with the Gentiles anymore uh, because he doesn't, want to, uh, he doesn't want to draw suspicion on his own piety in front of these other good Jews. And in, in Galatians 2.13, Paul says this, And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So you see, there, there had been some seeds of contention between these two men already. And now, when Barnabas wants to bring Mark with them, Paul says, absolutely not. They separate company. Barnabas takes Mark, and Paul took Silas. They parted ways, and they never worked together again. But what's interesting is towards the end of Paul's life, Paul actually calls for John Mark. In 2 Timothy 4.11, he's writing to Timothy, and he says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Do you know know what I think that, and this is speculation on my part, but I think it's on solid biblical ground. Do you know what I think happened? As Paul got older, I think Paul looked back on that, that event with Barnabas where they parted company, and Paul realized, I should have given that kid a second chance. I, I ruined a friendship forever because I, I wouldn't practice the grace that I've been preaching about in all these churches. I mean, Paul, Paul was making a confession That he made a wrong decision. But the decision had consequences. The relationship ended. It was not something that either of them expected, but suddenly their relationship was severed forever. Some of you have been there. You've been in a situation like that. You had a friend who's been a friend for a long, long time, and suddenly after one careless comment, the relationship is severed. And maybe you've apologized, maybe she's apologized, but the reality is it'll never be like it used to be. And it was not anything you planned. The marriage ended. Maybe by divorce, but maybe it ended by death. Maybe there was a health circumstance, an accident, something that happened, and suddenly the person you thought you were going to spend the rest of your life with, they have, they, their path has diverged from your path. And you're no longer traveling together through life with the person you thought you would spend the rest of your life with. This is the reality of every relationship we have, that there are unimagined divergences in our future. They will come to you. One way or another, we will face, we will face a time where every relationship we have will part company. And even though we know this is the truth, we live as if it's not the case. Paul faced an unimaginable divergence. The second thing he had to face 
was an unforeseen obstacle. Look at verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden, catch this, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So the Holy Spirit has prevented them. The Spirit of Jesus has prevented them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Now, it's interesting because Luke, who is writing the the book of Acts, doesn't really tell us um, how they knew the Holy Spirit was telling them not to go into Asia. How How they knew that the Spirit of Jesus was saying that. I would love to know. Wouldn't you like to know that? Because there have been a lot of times where I have taken a wrong turn on the journey of life, and I would love to have known how to have heard the Holy Spirit warn me or tell me not to do it. And Luke doesn't tell us exactly how Paul knew this. It could have been a circumstance. There could have been an obstacle that came up before them. It could have been that in the, in the course of praying, they just had a sense that the Holy Spirit was saying, hey, don't go there. I don't really know how it happened. But, but maybe there's been a situation in your life where you had a plan and suddenly there was an unforeseen obstacle in front of you and you suddenly found yourself needing to alter your plans. I remember this. I can't really explain this, but it's the closest personal experience I have uh, to, to this passage of Scripture. So I, when I graduated from college, I had already, already made up my mind and, and, and responded to what I felt like was God's call in my life to, to go to seminary. Um, and I was, uh, my undergraduate degree was in music education, and I loved music, I loved church music, um, I had been fortunate to work here, actually Eddie was my boss, and now we flipped, flipped roles, but we still wear the same jacket. <laughs> so so I, I, I had this plan, I had this plan, and, and I was going go to go to seminary and I was going to execute this plan. I'll never forget, I went with some friends to visit the school where I felt like God was leading me to go. And I walked on the campus, beautiful campus. They had just built a brand new music building, which that was my area. So I'm like so excited. Brand new music facility, state of the art, you know, for 1993, state of the art. And I was so excited. And I'll never forget, I was walking, these two friends of mine were with me. I walked onto the campus, was just overwhelmed. We walked into the school of church music. It was absolutely beautiful. I was overwhelmed, and, but immediately in my spirit, I just felt like God said, no. I'm like, well, that's not right. But every time I prayed about it, I just felt like the Holy Spirit kept saying, no. But it wasn't about the school. It was about the, and I'm like, Lord, we need to have a talk. Because my plan is to go to this school and I'm going to, I'm going to the school of church music. That's what I'm going to do. And the Holy Spirit just kept saying, no. That's all he would say. So I, I didn't know what else to do. So I decided I would register in the school of divinity. And I took Greek and I took Hebrew and I took Old Testament and systematic theology. And, I took, and the whole time I'm taking all these classes. And I'm like, I don't even... Like all these preacher types around me, I don't even, I don't even really want to be with you guys. Like I can take you for about an hour on Sunday, but I don't, I don't want to be with you and I certainly don't want to be one of you. And I went through three years of seminary responding to 
an obstacle that the Holy Spirit put in front of me, never fully understanding what it was. I thought when I finished, the reason that God, this is my reasoning, this is my logic, the reason God closed that door for me is because he wanted me to go to the School of Divinity so I would have a better understanding of Scripture and do a better job planning worship services and being a better support to my pastor. That's how I explained it to everybody. And then in 2008, God called me to be a senior pastor. I couldn't have known that in 1993. It was the last job in the world I ever wanted. And yet, because the Holy Spirit, and I wish I could tell you how. I wish I could tell you how in that moment I knew the Holy Spirit was saying no. I just knew that he was. But here's what I was doing. Here's what I was doing. I was praying every day. I was seeking God in his word every day. And here's what I believe is true for you. If you will seek after him, he will speak to you. I'm not saying it will be in an audible voice, and if it is in an audible voice, you just might want to get that checked out before you tell anybody. <laughs> but I am saying the Holy Spirit will speak to you in those moments. If you will just be, if you will pursue him, he will come to you. He will draw near to you. So Paul was facing this unforeseen obstacle. We don't know how, but he was not going to be able to carry out the plan he had in mind. But then the third thing he faced was an unexpected opportunity. Look at verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, a couple things about this passage that, let me just tell you. So again, I don't know how this happens. Paul is clearly sleeping It's night, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. I don't know whether God woke him up, whether he was just staying up all night praying. We don't really know. Luke doesn't tell us. But but here's one thing I want to tell you. I, I believe this. I believe that when you are quiet, when you finally are still enough, when you are finally off your phones long enough, that the Holy Spirit finally gets your attention. Often the only time of day that he can do that is in the middle of the night. And if he wakes you up, it may, not, it may not only be your bladder. Now, I'm serious. I mean, you have to be sensitive to the idea that God may be waking you up to speak to you because he can't get your attention during the day. And so Paul woke up and he listened. And in this vision, he saw this man in Macedonia saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. You know what I believe? I believe that in this church today, there are dozens of you, maybe scores of you, who have had a strange idea that came out of nowhere. And you've dismissed it. You've dismissed it for whatever reason. And you know what? I don't think... I don't think all of those ideas were just bad pizza. I think some of those ideas were the Holy Spirit. I think some of those ideas were the Holy Spirit speaking to you, trying to invite you to do something that wasn't on your plan, but has always been on his plan. And so Paul faced this unexpected opportunity to go into a part of the world where he was not on his initial agenda. His plan was to go back to every church he'd already been to. God's plan was for him to take the gospel somewhere new and different. And because he was obedient to the unforeseen obstacle, he didn't charge in where God was telling him not to go. He was available to respond to the unexpected opportunity to go to the place where God was calling him to go. Now let me share with you three things to do when facing divine detours. Because there there are only three kinds of people in the room today. 
Those of you who are facing a divine detour right now, those of you who have just faced a divine detour, or those of you who don't know it yet, but you're about to face a divine detour. But the reality is, everybody's going to face divine detour. So what do you do when you face a divine detour? Let me give you three things that I think Paul did that I think we can also do to help us uh, grow in our faith in the midst of these unexpected circumstances of life. The first thing is this, trust that God is in control. That's hard. Listen, it, it, it's hard to stand in a hospital room and listen to a doctor's report that you didn't want to hear and believe that God is in control. Some of you have been there or you're there now. But this is the time where you have to hold on to what is true in spite of what your emotions are telling you. This is the time when you better dig deep and say, I understand and know this is an unexpected circumstance of life, but God will use the unexpected circumstances of life for his glory and for my good. God is in control. Psalm 16.6 says, Your boundary markers for me have fallen in pleasant places, Lord. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. You know what that means? Boundary. We don't like boundaries. But when God sets a boundary, when there's an obstacle you can't get around, trust the fact that God has a pleasant place for you within those boundary markers. Some of you who are caring for sick loved ones or you're caring for preschoolers and you feel like you are locked in right now. There's so much of life, so many other things you would be doing if only this person weren't sick, if only that kid weren't so young, if only, if only, if only. What if what God has for you, the pleasant place God has marked out for you, is within the confines of that boundary? And trust that God is in control of the circumstance. The world is not running out of control. God is still on his throne. This is why when, when it says in Romans eight twenty eight, we read it earlier, it, we, we use it so flippantly But the reality is, when Paul said, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to purpose, all things, not just the good things, but the bad things. Not just just the things that are righteous and holy, but even evil. God can even use evil for good and for his glory. The evil intentions of other, God can twist that and turn it into something that will ultimately be good. It may not be good now, but just wait. Just wait. I love Job. Um, Job faced all kinds of unforeseen obstacles and divine detours in his life. And, and there were several things that Job said that stick out in my mind. He, he said, that one of the things he said, though he slay me, Job said, though he slay me, talking about God, yet I will praise him. He was so determined in the depth of his soul to praise God in spite of whatever circumstances may come. He was going to praise the Lord no matter what. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Sometimes, listen to me now, some, listen to me. Some of you are facing circumstances right now and it's not good, and it's painful, and it's tough. And you know what you need to do? You need to plant your feet firmly on the ground. You need to clench your fist, and you need to say, blessed be the name of the Lord, because God will work in the circumstances of your life for his glory, and you're good. He will. Remind yourself of this truth, and I want you to say it with me. God will use this unforeseen circumstance for his glory 
and for my good. Let's say it together. God will use this unforeseen circumstance for his glory and my good. Say it one more time like you believe it. God will use the unforeseen Let me show you the second thing I think you ought to do. The second thing. And this is so simplistic, but it's just this. Do the next right thing. Some of you have heard me say that before. Because I think the Bible is full of examples where that is the lesson we learn from these Bible characters. And every time it comes up, I never want to miss an opportunity to say it. Just do the next right thing. You don't know what else to do. An unforeseen obstacle, an unexpected opportunity, an unimagined divergence happens. You don't know what to do. Do the next right thing. You think, well, what is the next right thing? Well, my, my guess is you have some idea. Because if you stop long enough to think, you can ask yourself this question. What is the last thing that I believe God called me to do? Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Maybe it's as simple as this. You hold on to your integrity no matter what else happens. You, you hold on to the fact that I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm going to honor my mother and father. I, I mean, maybe it's that simple that I'm going to do the next right thing in every circumstance, no matter what. That the unforeseen circumstances of your life will challenge you to compromise your convictions and your beliefs, but you can't do it. You have to hold on to the thing that you know God is calling you to do and keep doing the next right thing. Keep loving your spouse, even when he or she is being unlovable. You love them anyway because you know you stood somewhere before somebody and said that you would do that. And so you keep loving them in spite of how difficult it becomes. You keep praying for that prodigal child, even when it looks like he or she will never ever come home you keep doing what is right at work even when everybody else is doing the wrong thing and they're gaining because of it singles hold on to your integrity and you may feel like well if i if i live the way the bible calls me to live i'll never get married don't give in to that lie hold on to your integrity keep doing the right thing and god will deliver you god will bring about for you his perfect plan you just keep doing the next right thing and finally third piece of advice these are so simple pay attention pay attention because when an unforeseen circumstance comes your way when a divine detour it means God is at work God's at work so the oncology report comes back and it's the worst news you could imagine. And it's not that you rejoice in the oncology report, but you take comfort in the fact that God's work, God's at work. God's at work. You lose your job. God's up to something. I don't know what it is. It doesn't feel good. God's up to something. And you pay attention and you start looking around. What is he going to do? Because here's what happens. Maybe it's not for you, but here's what happens for me. When everything's going my way, I'm on cruise control right? I mean, when I'm cruising through life and my plan has happened the way I want my plan to happen, then, then, then I don't pay much attention. But when a divine detour comes up, suddenly God's got my attention. Does he have yours? Does he have your attention when the divine detour happens, when the unimagined divergence takes place, when the unexpected obstacle rears its head, when the 
unforeseen opportunity comes your way. Are are you paying attention to what God is going to do? Listen, Barnabas left, took John Mark, Paul took Timothy, and God just doubled the amount of missionaries out on the field going in two different directions. I mean, God had a plan. In spite of the disruption in their friendship and relationship, Paul was prevented from entering into Asia, but then he was ready to go into Macedonia. And here's what you need to know. If you are so determined to overcome the obstacle that God has placed before you, if you're so hell-bent on getting into Asia, you may miss the opportunity he has for you in Macedonia. And you spend all your time being bitter and angry with God for the unforeseen obstacle he's placed in front of you, and you totally miss the unexpected opportunity that he's got for you. Pay attention to what God is doing. You know, I love the, I love, as many of you do, I love the narrative of the, the, the final days and hours of Jesus' life. I just, I, I, can, I can read it over and over again. It seems like every time I can read it, I, I pick something up else out of it that, that I didn't catch before. And one of the things that has always struck me about that was the, the incredible, how incredibly disappointing it must have been for the disciples. I mean, they, they were banking on this guy becoming the king of Israel. I mean, they were planning the cabinet out, you know. And, and they, they were the Clinton campaign. I mean, seriously, they, they thought, we, we've got this in the bag, we're going to win this. And, and it did not turn out the way they expected Jesus was arrested, he was crucified, the disciples are hiding. This is not how it was supposed to go. This is not what was supposed to take place. And then they killed him. It's over. We better go into hiding. We're now fugitives. This was not what we had planned. And yet, on the third day, God raised Jesus from the dead. Not to be the king of some small vassal state of the Roman Empire, but to reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Something they could have never imagined and that would have never been realized. Easter Sunday is only possible because of Good Friday. You know that, right? And you may be living in Friday right now, but I love, I love what the African-American preacher said. Tony Campolo has quoted it so many times, people credit him. He said, it may be Friday, but Sunday is coming. Sunday is coming for you. And I, I don't say that, I'm not saying that just because, just because I believe it from personal circumstances, although I do. And I'm not just saying that because of the story of the life of the Apostle Paul, although that's true. I'm saying that because that is the template that God has set before us, and he demonstrated it in his son Jesus. And if he who loved you so much that he would not spare his own son, but would give him up, how will he not also give you all good things? That is what God has for you in the midst of the unexpected circumstances of your life. And and I know it doesn't feel that way, but in spite of how it feels, God is inviting you to believe it, not because it feels true, but because it is true. I'm going to invite you to bow your head and pray. And as we do that, I'm going to invite our musicians to come back to the stage. Um, And in a moment, we're going to receive an offering today. And I just wonder on your communication card that you have, maybe... Today, you would use that space where 
it asks for prayer requests, just to write down a way that we can pray for you. Maybe today you're facing an unimagined divergence in your life. Maybe today you're facing an unforeseen obstacle. Maybe you've got before you an unexpected opportunity. I don't know what it is, but maybe today you just say, will you pray for me because of this? Take some time and write that down and let other people join you in prayer over that circumstance. As the offering plates pass, you can place that card in there. Maybe today you're realizing you want to speak with somebody. You can mark on there that you want to meet with one of our pastors, one of our staff members. We'd be happy to meet with you and pray for you. Whatever it is that God is doing with you in this moment, my prayer is that it's more than just in this moment, but that it's a trajectory change that can ultimately change your life. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you today and... um, We have all faced or will soon face divine detours. And it's easy in that moment, it's tempting in that moment to believe things are out of control and maybe even to assume our own control over the circumstances. But God, when I read the story about Paul, I'm so convicted by his response, his trust in you. His determination to just keep doing the next right thing as he shared the gospel And Father, the fact that he was listening, Lord, help me to listen, help us to listen. For everybody in this room right now facing a divine detour, Lord, may they pay attention to what you're doing and may they see evidence of your love for them even when they can't trace what your hand is doing. Lord, I pray that you would give us a deep and abiding faith that in spite of what emotions we're feeling, we can believe with full confidence that you are in control and you love us and so there's nothing we can face neither death nor life nor nor enemies nor anything in all of creation can separate us from the love that's in Christ Jesus Lord may that truth be so ingrained inside of our hearts and inside of our minds that every every unforeseen obstacle just becomes further evidence of your grace in our life Lord may it be true And we ask, Father, that you would move in mighty and miraculous ways to direct us where you would have us to go and that we might be found faithful even in the detours of life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.